Welcome to Where We Land, a podcast that explores the relationship between Christ's culture and the church. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. My name is Aaron, and I'm joined here in the studio today with my co-host, Stephen. Hey, everyone. And Laura. Hey, guys. And welcome to Where We Land. You have tuned in to an episode today that we are going to be talking about misconceptions about hell. And uh, I think as we kind of enter into a topic like that today, um, this is one of those issues that everybody has a perception of, uh, whether or not they believe what the Bible is teaching. Everyone has at least some idea or uh, a perception of the afterlife. What do you guys think? Uh, most definitely. Uh, if you're a Christian and you grew up in the 90s, you uh, have your perception from Chick Tracks. Um, or do you remember behind. those? Chick do, Tracks. I don't you remember know. those things? I don't know what a Chick Track oh, is. Guys, help me. Dude. I don't know if I... It was the things that you... It was like oh, little picture yes. books. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, a like picture the comic, book. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, comic yeah, yeah. style. Yeah, those like greatly influenced my perception of hell for like the first 10 to 12 years of my life. And then I started reading the Bible and I was like... There's some similarity there, but there's also some very big animation going on here. <laughs> we are filled, though, in our society today with illustrations of um, hell and heaven. I mean, it, it, it seems to work itself into uh, almost everything, right? I mean, in terms of thinking about the afterlife, I mean, it, whether it's a, a cartoon and you see, you know, like a little demon and a little angel pop up on the shoulder wings of somebody and try to influence their decisions or, I mean, we see it in cartoons. I mean, you reference uh, things like that. I, I think even like uh, even more recently here, uh, there was that uh, show that came out on Netflix. What was that called? Uh, the Good Place. Yeah, The Good Place, mm-hmm. which, which pictured once again, like the reality of an afterlife and and but yet our perception of so many of these things get colored uh, by all these different things what do you think laura i think that people naturally start to try to start to to start to form what they think about the afterlife because we all just kind of look around and think there has to be something more like what happens when we die i mean some people don't think there is anything else but i think it's a natural thing for people to start talking about it Mm. because we all die so we all kind of want to know what happens it's Mm. interesting though that in a culture that is increasingly postmodern that even those who are not caring too much about the afterlife still wonder about it. <laughs> like our culture is consumed with this life, but yet a majority of our culture would probably still, I mean, even by like things like that TV show and like other things in our culture for a culture that is so consumed with this life, they're still intrigued by the afterlife. What happens after this life? Um, and I think that that's very interesting. Even people who like question the existence of God still sometimes will reference like heaven and hell. If you have a discussion with them, it's like, well, okay. So I think it's interesting and I think it's a very applicable topic, uh, to the time in which we're living right now. Yeah. Do you think I'm just asking, I don't have any like, you know, great articles to read or like statistics to talk about. Do you guys think, I mean, honestly asking, do you think most people, maybe like our age and younger in our culture, do they actually believe in a place called hell? Now, I'm not saying that they believe in the biblical perspective on hell, but like, do they believe in it like a negative or a punishment for those who deserve it after this life? Do you I, think they do? Uh, man, I, and then I don't know. T- t- like talking off the cuff here, but I think it seems to me over the last number of years, at least within pastoral ministry, that there seems to be a, a, a more growing disillusionment with the reality of a 
place called hell. Okay. I, I mean, I, I would say, what do you think, Stephen? I mean, yeah, I would say yes. But, but I say that because there's been so much that's been. Do you mean like disillusionment in the sense of does it even exist? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Interesting enough, Pew Research did do a um, research on this back in 2015. So we're five years later, but back in 2015, 72% of Americans. Six years later. Six, six years. years. <laughs> Aaron and I are both standing here with our fingers stuck. up. Six. Sorry, six. guys. COVID, got, COVID on the brain. Um, anyway. Just 70- skipped a year. Oh, yeah, Stevens is like, we're, we're done with it. I'm <laughs> done with it, man. I'm so done with it. Um, 72% of Americans say they believe in heaven as defined as a place where people who have led good lives are eternally rewarded, but only 58% of adults believe in hell where people who have bad lives die without uh, being sorry are eternally punished. So that's interesting that there's a discrepancy between those who believe in heaven and hell, which would make sense. Sure. uh, Because everybody wants to be rewarded and nobody wants to be (laughs) uh, punished. I mean, I don't particularly (laughs) love talking about hell. Yeah, that's interesting. But you see, I don't think this is a new thing that our generation is asking questions about. I mean, this is a century old. um, I mean, you think about books like Paradise Lost or, uh, you know, Dante's Inferno. And I mean, these are these are questions that humanity's had wanted answers about and have questioned and and so um today what we're doing is we're taking a two-part discussion on the podcast both this time and next time just to talk about some common misconceptions today we're talking about hell and then next time we're going to be talking about heaven but um you know it is interesting to hear those um things that Stephen was just describing for us and and yet when you look at the Bible, you find that that Jesus spoke a great deal more about judgment and hell than probably many people would care to admit. And, and, and in fact, Jesus spoke of those things more frequently, at least within the Bible that we have record of, of, of hell than he did heaven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's true. It, uh, he t- uh, the word for hell is used more than uh, the word for heaven in the Bible, and he referenced it more often, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, interesting because he comes as the one who makes a way to heaven to have that relationship with God, but he's also warning of the impending judgment that's coming. He's fulfilling the role of a prophet um, that he came to fulfill. So what would be some just kind of common uh, descriptions that people have given for hell, whether it's cultural, pop culture, um, you know, things that really seem to have given an impression to people about that. That it's only for the really, really bad people, you know, like somebody who's murdered or somebody who's, I, I don't know, I get, that's what I think. I think a misconception I hear a lot is that hell is just for those really bad people. Yeah, like your Hitlers or, yeah. you know, the... the right. I know I've met people like working with teenagers before that just think it's like another, um, like a curse word or euphemism, mm-hmm. you know, like what the, and you just fill it in with hell, you know, some people, and some also, people are like, Oh, it's more than a word. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Some people also think that hell is here. Like what you're experiencing. Mm-hmm. Like we're living, like hell we're on living earth. hell yeah. on earth. Yeah. Because it's bad here. There's some really interesting, um, quotes by people that are actually famous that would give us a little insight into this. Um, Mark Twain, he said this, I don't like to commit myself about heaven and hell. I have friends in both places. Go to heaven for the climate and go to hell for the company. Huh. Very uh, interesting. Al Capone, the famous gangster, um, he said, I would rather be rich and affluent and greedy and go to hell when I die than live in poverty on this earth. A uh, very earth, uh, like this life right here and now centered 
uh, life. And then uh, you have to, um, you probably know this one, the old ACDC song, Highway to Hell. Uh, says going down party time. My friends are going to be there too. I'm on the highway to hell on the highway to hell highway to hell. I'm on the highway to hell. This idea of it's a party, my friends, and I get to hang out with everybody there. And, um, very interesting, uh, view. Um, but the last one that I found that was very interesting was Katy Perry. She said, I don't believe in heaven or hell or an old man sitting on a throne, but I do believe in a higher power bigger than me because that keeps me accountable. Uh, very Isn't interesting. that one interesting? Like the yeah. idea of being held accountable for something? Well, she was a pastor's daughter, so she has a religious foundation right. and background. So she obviously believes in a higher, greater being, I think because of her upbringing, most likely. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that she cancels out. But in all the quotes that you just described from some of those people, and maybe a lot of them well known, uh, there, there seems to be a kind of common thread, though, that is in each one about hell. And, and what is that? I mean, it's the company, the friends, the party, and it's yeah. a good time. And mm-hmm. heaven is not as fun, but yeah. it's definitely better than For the climate. It's better. Isn't that what that said? <laughs> yeah, that's what Twain said. So it's it's better in the sense of I don't have to worry about all the problems of hell, but the um, the fun is in hell. And you see, I think when you hear that and just hear, I mean, to even equate those two words together, like hell and fun, mm-hmm. I think it, it it makes us realize we don't understand what we're talking about. We don't we don't understand the severity of what we're saying. I think uh, John Stott he said in um, one of his messages on the Sermon of the Mount. Listen to what he says. He says, similarly, Jesus taught the easy way entered by the wide gate leads to destruction. He did not define what he meant by this, and presumably the precise nature of hell is much beyond our finite understanding as the precise nature of heaven. But the terrible word destruction, he puts in parentheses, terrible because God is properly the creator and not the, not the destroyer, and because man was created to live and not to die, seems at least to give us liberty to say that everything good will be destroyed in hell. Love and loveliness, beauty and truth, joy, peace and hope, and that forever. And then he makes this statement. He says it is a prospect. And he's talking about hell. He says it is a prospect too awful to contemplate without tears. And I think, man, if we talk about hell without that tone to, 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 to take the severity of what Jesus said so frequently uh, in the Gospels, as, as Jesus describes for many people, the words that Jesus uses to describe hell um, think about, you know, the words Jesus talked about the hell of fire. He talked about being thrown into hell. He talked about an unquenchable fire. He, uh, he described a place of utter darkness. He described a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, I mean, this, this, this picture that Jesus was giving to us about this reality, I think Stott's exactly right. How do we really enter into a serious discussion about hell without contemplating it with tears? And um, so, I, I mean, I guess let me ask you guys this in terms of like your upbringing and some of the perceptions that maybe you all had growing up about hell. What was your I mean, what, what was your perception, Laura, growing up about that? Um, I would say I, w- I was saved at a really young age. And the only thing I can ever really remember, I, rem- I don't know who, but I think there was a sermon that I heard and it went through all of these different things about hell and the thing that I walked away with as a little kid was darkness, fire, and hopelessness. Hmm. Those, that's, that's my earliest memory of understanding hell. Huh. What about you, Stephen? 
Uh, so <laughs> this is partially due to watching uh, Scrooge, the play. Um, but I always had a weird, inconsistent uh, view because somehow I always thought it was dark mm-hmm. with fire, but it was cold. Oh, because as of a kid, Scrooge. because of Scrooge, because he's in the he's in hell and it's like cold and the wind's blowing. And in I was in like, your defense, I, I mean, I hate the cold. <laughs> it's interesting. And so I was like, so that I don't know how that made sense. And then I got older and I was like, wait a second, it can't be cold with fire. And so then like some of those misconceptions started going away. But that was kind of my earliest recollections. Mm. I think about when I uh, first trusted Christ, I remember I was four years old and I remember watching a, a Christian movie and I was watching this, this show in our, in our living room. And the whole Christian show was like a cartoon who was talking about like, you're going to reap what you sow. And I remember going into my mom in the kitchen and she was washing dishes. And I, and I told her, I said, mom, I don't want to go to the fireplace. Like, that's what I said. Mm. And uh, she didn't even know what I was talking about. I mean, there was a fire on TV the night before and, and she thought I was describing something I had seen. Mm-hmm. But what I was really talking about was hell. I, I, that was the description that was in my mind was a place of torment, a place of fire. And, you know, we all we all have uh, uh, maybe a, a coloration of how we think about the afterlife. We were talking before we got started today on the on the show. And, uh, you know, I think about that verse where Paul says it hasn't even entered into the heart of man what God has in store for those who love him. So just as much as we cannot comprehend um, what it means to uh, experience that new heaven, that new earth and the the delight of God and all those things, I I think equally we cannot fathom the uh, just complete utter torment of of what hell is. What do y'all think about that? I would highly agree with that. Um, I think too often we try and answer all the mysteries of the Bible instead of reading what's plain for us to see and taking that away and understanding we can't comprehend it really. (laughs) I mean, it's going to, hell is something that nobody should ever desire or you would ever wish for someone because it is such a horrendous thing that our imaginations, our minds can't even comprehend it all. You know, even just reading like some of the ways it's described in the Bible, you're like, you come away and you're just like, whoa, you know, like it's, it's hard to even like get my imagination on a right track to even comprehend it. You know, let me ask you this. Do you think the, I'll say doctrine of hell, like the teaching of hell has been de-emphasized in the church today? Yeah. I was kind of wondering, listening to you guys talk, um, what was your this is kind of a long answer to that question, but what was your motivation for salvation? Was it to, for me, I didn't want to go to hell. Like I, I don't, that was, that is part of my testimony is recognizing sure. that I deserved hell and that there, ha- I remember I asked my dad, he came to tuck me into bed one night and I don't know why I was thinking about it. And I said, you know, well, how, how are you saved? And for me, it was how, how are you saved from, you know, the punishment that I deserve? Mm-hmm. And, and so he, um, he explained the gospel to me and I put my faith in Christ, but um, were you, you, so were you, you were telling that story, were you saved that, like, did you come to Christ that night? Is that, yeah, so like, so, so like my testimony would be like that day, I remember mom came out and took a Bible and showed me from the scriptures what it means to be saved. Mm-hmm. And I made a decision as a four-year-old boy mm-hmm. to trust Christ, but, um, and I grew up in a Christian home, you know, we attended church very frequently, and yet 
um, when I was 11 years old, our family was up in uh, Washington, D.C., of all places, camping on the week of 9-11. And I can remember the morning of 9-11, we were like, a, we, our plan was that day to go to the, the, to the FBI building. Oh. And so we were on the subway when everything, we get, had just gotten off the subway in the heart of D.C. when all of that happened. Mm-hmm. And I, I can remember coming up out of the subway, and we were like a mile, less than a mile from the Pentagon. And um, whether it was the explosion from the plane or a subsequent explosion, like I remember feeling that in the whole, I mean, the whole place just shook. And um, I, I remember coming up out of that subway, it was just like you came into utter pandemonium, like just chaos. And I was an 11 year old boy at the time. And that was the, I think that was the first time that I had ever been throughout that whole day. And then the course of that week. And I mean, we were camping of all places. And so, I mean, I remember being out in our pop-up camper and just F 16s or F 18s, whatever they are flying over, uh, so frequently. And it just shook my world as an 11 year old boy that I remember. I don't know if I had ever like seen the, the, um, fragileness of life, you know, from that angle, and so like months later going home, I remember one night watching a documentary of all of that. And it just brought all of that emotion back for me, um, you know, cause we weren't there, but I mean, just, I mean, being very close, you know, in the city still, you, you, you interacted with so many people and everybody is, you know, working through the pain of that moment in the same time. And, um, I can remember though, watching that documentary and going to bed that night and I couldn't fall asleep. Mm-hmm. And it was once again, like, I, I, I really wondered that night, like, if I were to die in my sleep as an 11 year old boy, that's what I thought, then where would I, where would I spend eternity? And I remembered what I had done as a four year old boy, but I really had a lot of doubt about it. And I just, I didn't have peace. And I remember it was like one thirty in the morning. I woke up my mom and she came back, sat on the same couch, took out probably the same Bible. But I realized, looking back on it now, I I really got assurance of my salvation that night. But I look back on that and I think, well, when did I get saved? Was it when I was a four-year-old boy or was it when I was an 11-year-old boy? Because as a four-year-old boy, I think I understood that I was a sinner in need of God's grace. I mean, I think I knew that and that Jesus was a great Savior. But I don't know if I really understood you came into a deeper understanding the Christian life, yeah, like, right. Sure. Like what it really meant to be a follower of Christ. So as a, I as think it ad- was a motivation for me, okay. certainly yeah. to, to trust Christ. But I, I, I think the older I got, the more that I realized what I was actually committing to. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Stephen? Uh, well, for me growing up, I had a severe anxiety of um, hell from the time I was four till about, Oh, 12. And so that resulted in like pretty much every night, I think. I mean, maybe I'd go one or two nights, but pretty much every other night I would be praying, save me, you know, don't want to go to hell. And uh, the sinner's prayer, quote unquote. That's a long time to. Yeah, it was a long time. To be uh, in that state. That's (laughs) a long time. Like I remember I would wake up and I would go and like sneak into one of my brother's rooms. And I was very like even deceptive as a child. But I would be like, yo, we need to hang out, you know, and Mm -hmm. I would like play it off. Because I didn't want my brothers to think I was like a wimp. But like the reason I would do that is because I was scared of going to hell. So, um, yeah, no, like hell is a hell. It was something that I was definitely scared of. But when I got saved, oddly enough, it wasn't hell. That was a part of my actual salvation testimony. 
Um, it was the fact that after all those years, hell wasn't even on my mind when I finally placed my faith in the Lord. It was the fact that it finally just clicked biblically of how do I get to have a relationship with God? Right. And it was through faith. And it was like that just overshadowed all the anxiety that I had had about hell for like eight years. So, but, so let, but let me circle back then to kind of my original question and think yeah. about like within the church today, though, mm-hmm. do you think the doctrine of hell is uh, not emphasized or de-emphasized? I think it's on a downward progression. Like, I think if you just like, I mean, I think even my question is why is that my lifetime, which is a short time, just listening to sermons and the way, like just preaching, you know, on a regular basis, Mm -hmm. I feel like it's been on a downward progression. Um, as far as often, how often it's mentioned, but then even how deep it's dug into, you know, other than like, Hey, God's going to punish those who don't believe in him in hell, you know? Okay. Well, what does that mean? You know, like I can't remember the last time that I heard like a series on just like hell, you know, so or you're hell wondering why? Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with Steven. I think yeah. there has been a, a true de-emphasis within the church uh, over the doctrine of hell. And why, why has that happened? Because, um, you know, I, I think if we're not careful, our, um, the church gets too influenced by our, like which which is influencing the other right? right is the church being salt and light to a culture or are they sadly being influenced by the the perception in society today regarding the afterlife and that's actually it's made um christians who are not firm in their faith or firm in their understanding about heaven and about hell and because we feel like there's so much misconception there that we've allowed that just to color everything and we say well well, i don't really know so we're not not even going to talk about it i think that well this is just what i think i think as far as there is that influence from the world i do think but as far as believers go i think it's directly tied to how we view god um, how we view his character, how we view our relationship to him. I think there's been a lot of emphasis on, um, you know, you hear people say, and I, I'm not, I don't want to be misunderstood. Jesus does call us friends, but um, we're his friends if we do the will of the Father, you know. And but there's this this growing feeling of you know Jesus being your buddy, Jesus being you know your best friend. Um, some of the songs I've heard is, you know, Jesus almost sounds like a boyfriend in mm-hmm. these songs, you know, and there's this, I think it has to do with the absence of understanding the character of God yeah, I agree and that. how he is just, and that's directly connected to hell. The yeah. fact that he is a just judge. Yeah, I think about holy. what, and I, he's holy. I, yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, I think about guys like Leonard Ravenhill and mm-hmm. the, you know, messages that they would preach on the judgment of Christ and, and others like him. And yet there, there seems to be, I think in our society today, we've lost the concept of the majesty of God, the holiness of God, mm-hmm. the righteousness of God. Do you think too that like I agree with you all completely? Do you think too that in response to some of those older preachers, that the church kind of reacted in a negative way, and they were like, "Oh, we don't want to talk about hell so much," and they kind of overemphasized. Like an they overemphasized the grace of God. Mm-hmm. Um, Pulled out a characteristic. I mean, like a like a caricature of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were like, "Oh, well, we've gone really hard on like the God's judgment for a decade now, or however long that it might have been emphasized in a particular arena of faith or denomination." They're like, "Oh, well, now we want to go more towards grace," you know, mm-hmm. and it's like an over. 
it's an overcorrection because yeah. it's like you have I think to, there's you some have to have of both. That. <laughs> but I, I think I, I would totally agree with Laura. I think it is a, 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 a loss of the majesty of God, the holiness of God, the because righteousness of God being emphasized in our preaching and the teaching in our practice that has, because if we no longer have that, then it, and then it just divulges into what you were describing. Well, people often say, how could a good God send people to hell? Right. And I think that they don't understand what the goodness of God actually is. I totally agree with you. So let's take that one <laughs> okay. you just gave. And I think let's take a few minutes here to kind of work through some common myths or misconceptions that either some or a majority of people would hold to. And then let's see if we can like tag back okay. with a biblical verse uh, to kind of anchor that. So let me just give you like maybe the first one. Uh, you know, we go back to some of the quotes that Stephen was reading earlier. Like uh, maybe maybe a myth about hell is that hell is a part party, right? Uh, where, where, where do we see evidence in the Bible that hell is definitely not a party? Uh, everywhere that hell is mentioned, uh, <laughs> literally, I mean, go to Luke 16, um, where it talks about how the rich man is literally begging for a drop of water. And, uh, I, I've heard some people be like, Oh, well, that's a parable, you know? So you got to remember it's a narrative. Um, well, it's a parable, but like, I also think that like Jesus is literally trying to convey something about hell through the story, you know? Random hmm. question. Do y'all, do y'all really think it's a parable? Because isn't this the only one that a real name is used? I Lazarus? don't think that I Luke think, 16 is a parable. I don't, I don't think it is, but I oh, know so some people do. you think there's an actual do. rich man? I do, because no. there's okay. a name and there's no other okay. names. I don't think. Am I no, wrong about that? I think that it is so one thing that. that. No, I think, you know, wait, no. Keep on going. This is good with the discussion. I'm but asking. I think, yeah, I don't, you're asking I don't, the question. I don't think that there's another oh, I person you were named. No, no, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> this is good because I think he's right. I yeah, mean, there, I there think, are there are some that would hold. Stephen's right. There are there some, are some that, that would interpret Luke 16 as a parable. Yes. yes. But then I think we're, we're just you are we saying saw, for you. We took a rabbit trail. Yeah, I said, do yeah, you guys we, think yeah. it is a parable or not? Yeah, we're oh, all good. That was yeah. a rabbit trail. We're all still here. We're all here. And you're still with us, which is great. So we're glad you're here as well. So we are picking up right where we're at. We're just we're not stopping. We're going right here. It's not a party. That's where we were. They're just getting to see a part of our real conversation right now. Okay. But no, anyway, but yeah, I would, I would say like Luke 16, whether you interpret as a parable or not, um, either way, um, it's not a party. (laughs) That's uh, very, very clear, uh, there. Yeah. And I mean, think in the places that Jesus described hell, he always describes it as a place of suffering, Mm -hmm. a place of disconnection, right? Um, what, what, what about the, what about the myth that says, um, hell doesn't really exist? Uh, we've seen a lot of that over the last few decades within Christian circles that has come out. So within Christian circles, then, so where do they get that from? Well, I mean, they believe there's a certain... I mean, in the Bible, like, where would they pull that from? There's certain denominations that believe that in, like, annihilationalism. And um, Can you explain that for folks, that that's a new concept? Like, the idea that hell is figurative, so it's punishment versus literal. So, like, your punishment is that you cease to exist. If you do not believe in God. So it's like you're annihilated. Destruction. Yeah. You're just completely destroyed. Like you cease to exist. Peace. Um, And so personally, I don't know where they get that from (laughs) because I've never really read anything that would lead me to believe that. Well, Um, I think the response to that is like if hell is not a literal place, then why does Jesus speak so frequently in the gospels as if it is? 
you know, right. and I think that's the thing. It's like go back to the teaching of Jesus, and Jesus referenced it as a real, literal place. So why would we now parse and say, well, that it's not? Um, mm-hmm. What about what about the whole like notion that uh, hell is uh, like Satan's domain and heaven is God's domain and um, because don't you see that kind of amplified in like the comic of mm-hmm. the like you know uh, I mean it's Satan's cartoons dressed in and, red with a pitchfork yeah with and, a pitchfork yeah. and then you got the angel on the other side and there's like mm-hmm. this constant it's it's almost it almost gives us this impression that these that heaven and hell are separate domains and yet they have separate powers and it also makes it it also conveys the the idea that Satan and God are equal rivals yeah, I'm saying like God does not control Which is heaven not true. That, that God controls. I mean, I'm sorry, I misspoke that wrong. That God does not control hell or... Right. Yeah, so that they are true, like, separate things. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm going to Revelation 21 because Mm -hmm. God literally takes death and hell and throws them into the lake of fire. Mm -hmm. So, like, he is over everything that is. Like, he has sovereign authority that reaches every aspect of every nook and cranny of what is what yeah. is reality yeah you're right and in colossians we we've been going through a sermon series in colossians at our church and uh in chapter one you know paul says christ is the image of the invisible god the firstborn of all creation for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him and he is before all things and in him all things hold together and so um i think you know colossians is showing the supremacy of jesus like Mm -hmm. he is he reigns over everything and there is not one place that is outside of his uh his reign i mean i i mean i I know we're maybe we'll parse hairs a little bit here, but I think even in the Old Testament in the book of Psalms, you know, Psalm 139, the psalmist says, where can I go from your spirit? Mm-hmm. And he even kind of references like even in the grave, even if I go in into the grave, you are there. That's what he yeah. says. So and there's not, like, there's a, there's no place where God's authority is not uh, exercised. Yeah. Cause like Satan still has been given like an aspect. Of, I don't know if I'd call authority, but I would say like an aspect of like, well, he's the prince of power of the uh, air. He has an aspect right. of authority, mm-hmm. but it's definitely like a subservient authority underneath the sovereign authority of God. Like yeah, look what he's not more powerful or as powerful. I mean, look in the book of Job. I think that's yeah. an evidence of that. Like he goes and presents himself before. It's also temporary. Yes. Yeah, you're right. But he is very powerful. I mm-hmm. think sometimes like we, You can either go too far on the one side and you can give Satan too much power or you can go on the other side and be like, well, he has no power at all. And it's like, well, you need to know who you're dealing with and like the what realm you're fighting against, you know? So what what about the misconception that I think you just brought up, which I think is the one thing about hell that a lot of times one of most of the reasons I think why people reject the doctrine of hell is is because there's that emotional piece, that that visceral piece that often offends us when we think about justice, when we think you mean about when fairness. I said, and why you, would a good God send someone to hell? Or or the other kind of way that people describe it about hell is only for really bad people, okay. right? So yeah. either way, uh, where where does that come from? Us trying to decide what's right and wrong. Yeah, I mean, I think it goes back to our sense of what's fair and what's just. And so, you know, we think that certain people deserve hell and not others. And certainly and certain not people, us. And so, yeah, <laughs> certainly, certainly not, not us. me. Yeah. Right? Genesis 1 through 3, really, is where it goes back to <laughs> yeah, talking about, like, what is sin? Sin is going against God's will. 
Uh, mm-hmm. Sin is when I disobey God's law. And so everyone is a bad person. <laughs> Every human is a bad person when it comes to that definition, you I know? Have a, I have a question. Well, let me just give a verse okay, on that because I think that is right. Paul does say in Romans 6, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, right? And Paul walks through in Romans chapter 3, um, he walks through and he, he Paul literally says, he, he's quoting from the Old Testament, but he says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside and together have become worthless. No one does good, not even one, mm-hmm. right? And uh, so he goes on to d- describe then in verse 19, for we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that the, every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And that's where we get to that verse where in verse 23, for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. So the Bible's making the statement that all have sinned, every one of us have fallen short and there is no one that does good. So ultimately when we want to talk about good and bad people, isn't that often from our perspective of our sense of what we think is fair or what we think is just? Well, even in that passage, it goes back to how you view God because the standard at the end is the glory of God. Mm -hmm. And so the misconceptions about hell come from our lack of understanding of what God is like. Hmm. And us wanting to be (laughs) <laughs> like God or bigger than God. It Which all is goes, also Genesis. It all goes back to Satan's original, uh, like the original fall of everything Humanity. that is. Yeah. Like and Satan, like he wanted to be like God. Like he wanted to have his glory mm-hmm. as much as God's glory. And we do that today. Thus we question God's goodness. And we think that we know him and know him better <laughs> and know better th- things than he does. So what about the, maybe another myth or misconception that, um, hell is not a place of punishment. Mm. What would they say that it is? Well, I mean, I think it if ties back. If it's not a place a, of punishment, then what do you mean? Well, I mean, you know, I think we go into, either, there's a lot of ways that people have used to describe it, but I think in some camps you'll hear people say that hell is separation from God. Mm-hmm. And then there are other people that would talk about hell as a place of punishment. And I ask the question, well, what is it? Is it the absence of God or is it, is there a true punishment? And then we were kind of getting into a little discussion before we started recording. And, and um, I think the significance of that. I think either way you look at that, either side you land on that, it is still judgment. It is still judgment. It is still judgment. Whether mm-hmm. you believe that hell is a place of punishment. Right. Or it is a place where you suffer because you are, um, n- there's no ability to be in relationship with God. Either way you look at that wherever you land on that, it is still judgment. Yeah. And Jesus said that Matthew 25 verse 46, he refers to hell as a place of everlasting punishment. Uh, in Matthew 18, he refers to it as everlasting fire. Mark nine, Jesus said a, a, a fire that can never be quenched. Uh, and Jude picks up on that in his letter in Jude 13, where he talks about uh, those false teachers there's a place of hell reserved where the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. And so mm-hmm. I think you do show that, that right. it is a place of judgment. Mm-hmm. And there, there will be a judgment that God, um, there is uh, in, in Revelation, we read of the really that. Um, and once again, it kind of depends on maybe your theological position of what mm-hmm. you believe about the judgment seat of Christ 
whether the the bema seat and the great white throne are the same judgment or if they're different mm-hmm. we're not here to to mm-hmm. talk about that today but what we all point to is what the bible's pointing to that there is a day of judgment that every one of us will stand and give an account to god and uh and god will judge us um the Bible makes it very clear for uh, the things in our life. The Bible says in another place that God is a consuming fire and, and the judgment will try every man's work. And it's not what size of work it was, but the Bible makes the point of what sort it was. Mm. And so one day, every one of us are going to stand and there's that accountability uh, before God. So um, any other any other like misconceptions we want to talk about before we maybe move on to another thought? I mean, not. Not necessarily. I mean, you could go, you could jump into like other religions <laughs> and you could talk about like uh, somebody who would br- believe in um, uh, like the idea of like uh, coming back again and again. The words escaping my mind, Laura. Reincarnation. Reincarnation. <laughs> they would believe that hell is now <laughs> and that yeah. like hell is life um, and that in order to escape hell, you must reach like the ultimate nirvana, you know, like so you what could would jump the Bible say then to that in terms of reincarnation and it is appointed to man once to die mm-hmm. yeah Book of and Hebrews. then the judgment mm-hmm. yeah right um i guess when i i think again with maybe a misconception it leads me to a question it, it it why does a good god send or how would a good god send someone to hell so here's my question yeah. does god send people to hell so i'm going to read you a quote it's by millard erickson in christian theology it says god created humans to have fellowship with him and has provided the means by which they can do so which is christ it is a person's choice to experience hell. His or her own sin sends them there. Hmm. So I'm throwing that question out, guys. It's funny. I just literally brought into the studio my book from Erickson <laughs> Whoa, on Christian theology that. that you quoted from. We're on the but, same wavelength. Uh, but uh, go ask, so are you saying, does God send people there? Is God there? sending them there, or do we choose it because we don't choose him? I think, well, I'll let Stephen go ready. before us. I'm, I'm going to let Stephen go because he's ready to go. God definitely sends uh, Satan and his angels to hell. Okay, so maybe Second I Peter think they're talking about humans two, here. Four, yeah. um, he cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to Mm -hmm. be kept until the eternal judgment um so like right off the cuff there is a precedent for god sending created beings to hell maybe not necessarily humans at this point but i'm laying the foundation for us to continue the discussion here Mm -hmm. i'm not giving you a complete answer as much as i am building a foundation so there is a precedent though where god does send created beings to hell so c.s lewis then says in the great divorce hell is god honoring human freedom to choose an existence independent from their creator in the long run the answer to those who object to the doctrine of hell is itself a question what is it they're asking God to do? To wipe out past sins and at all costs give them a fresh start? He did that on the cross. To forgive them? But they don't want forgiveness. To leave them alone? Well, that's what hell is. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and to those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell choose it. Without that self-choice, it wouldn't be hell. Yeah, I think where I would land on that is that being born into a sin curse world that destination is what is chosen for each one of us from the moment we're born uh in the sense that you know we are born in a born dead we are born dead in our like sins. that yeah. is that is the natural destination for somebody who fails to receive uh 
the work of Christ and the gift of God uh, the, and the eternal life that he is extending to each person. Mm-hmm. I, I find uh, what John Stott says in his book, The Cross of Christ. I, I'm going to just give you a little bit of this, but I think it it's so um, I think it really answers your question, maybe in a, in a different way. But uh, Scott depicts a scene where billions of people are on a great plane before God's throne. And most would shrink back in fear, but he pictures a few sinners coming near the front and people come with defiance. They come with angry voices. And and, it, and of course, this is totally hypothetical right. because we know what the Bible says, right? Romans three, that uh, at the judgment, the Bible says that every mouth will be stopped because they stand guilty before God. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, the, the Bible's already said like, right. okay, this, this is, is hypothetical, just an but I think yeah. it's an illustration. And mm-hmm. he depicts these group of people coming before God's throne, and the question that they ask is, can judge? Can God judge us? And one woman, she rips back her sleeve to reveal kind of a tattooed number from a Nazi concentration camp. And she just screams out. She says, what does God know about suffering? And others who had suffered lodged their complaints at God for the evil and the suffering that he had permitted and and, and just basically just lambasting uh, God for, well, what does he know of weeping or hunger or hatred? He's lived this sheltered life up there in heaven. And they think about people who have been deformed or others, people who have been murdered. And uh, basically what happens is every group kind of selects this leader and that goes before God's judgment, God's throne to pronounce a sentence against God. And this is what they say in his book. He says, let them be, let him be born a Jew. Let the, let the legitimacy of his birth be doubted. Let his friends, close friends betray him. Let him face false charges. Let a prejudiced jury try him and a cowardly judge convict him. Let him be tortured. Let him be utterly alone. Then bloody and forsaken, let him die. Mm. And then Stott says in the vast plain, there were just millions standing before the judgment seat and silence just fell out over each one of them as it finally dawned on them that God had already served his sentence. So I think about like what Randy Alcorn says. He says, some people cannot believe that God would create a world in which people would suffer so much. Isn't it more remarkable that God would create a world in which no one would suffer more than he? Mm -hmm. So I think the answer to that question is that in every one of our lives, we live in a world that is cursed by sin. And the Bible doesn't say we're sin, we're sinners because we choose to sin. The Bible, Jesus would teach in John three, that we're sinners because we were born that way. And so I would say that the destination of every person who is born into this world is headed towards that place called hell. And that's why Christ came. That's why he extended. um, It's why he he died in our place. I mean, I think when you finally realize that in God's world and in this world that he's created, uh, as, as Randy Alcarn would say, isn't it remarkable that God would create a world in which no one would suffer more than he, I think that puts everything into a new perspective because it makes me realize that, uh, this place of punishment that is for those who are rejecting the offer of salvation that is found in Christ alone, that they, they in effect choose that because they're failing to receive the grace that um, God would give. And then there's that picture, right? That God suffers. And I don't, I think that's the one thing that when people want to argue about the, 
uh, reality of hell or they want to argue about judgment or they want to argue about all these what ifs. Often what doesn't get added to the equation is the way that God himself suffered, the way that God himself gave up his only son. And I think we we end up judging uh, situations based off of how we equate fairness or, or justice, but all of us are skewed in that. And all of us, um, um, really, we want God's justice to be served to everybody else other than ourselves. So the follow-up question is the one that I hear in my head our whole culture asking when you say that, which is, what about those who've never heard? So I think that question is answered for us in the book of Romans. I think Paul, as he has already laid out in chapter 3, that there is no one righteous, not 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 one. And he says that we all stand guilty before God. Um, we are all guilty. He walks through, and then he gets to chapter uh, ten, and um, Paul makes the here's here's the gospel. I mean, in a nutshell, he says in verse nine, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And then verse 11, uh, for the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And then he says in verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Paul is, 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 is showing how the gospel, the invitation of the gospel has been extended to every person. But then he follows that up with probably what people would be asking the question that you just asked. And he says in verse 14, well, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And Paul says, but how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And I think, you know, what often happens is we want to get into arguments of, well, what about this person or this mm-hmm. setting? And I think what I what I truly believe is that one, Romans 10 is showing us the urgency of why it matters to tell people this good news. I mean, because eternity is at stake. And I think there is such an urgency that maybe the church is lost today because when they when they begin to devalue the or um not consider the holiness and the majesty and the righteousness and the justice of God, mm-hmm. then we, 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 we have just diluted what eternity is. And we've, we've made it out to be less than what the Bible, what Jesus is saying it is. And so I think there's just a real urgency for every person who has the gospel to give the gospel to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also firmly believe, and I think you can see evidence of it today, that uh, specifically in very close countries to the gospel, to hear uh, people who have a desire to, uh, to, to, to know the truth and, and, and through the most unlikely ways mm-hmm. and the most unlikely means, uh, they are being taken or, or, or to, to go find somebody uh, to reveal, to show them the truth of the gospel. So I don't believe that someone can come to a saving knowledge of God apart from the truth of the gospel. I think a person has to recognize what Paul is recognizing there in terms that they are a sinner in need of God's forgiveness. They need someone to preach them the good news, 
But God's heart, and this is the thing, God's heart is clearly that he is not willing that any should perish. Mm-hmm. So if that is the heart of God in this discussion, then we we need to understand that ultimately he is a righteous judge and God will not judge wrongly. So uh, ultimately every person stands accountable to God on that. Our family um, lived overseas in one of those closed countries for a few years. And I remember there was a conversation one day about about this very topic, because you're very overwhelmed by how many people, literally how many numbers there are of people who never hear. And um, a group of friends, we were sitting around, and um, one of them spoke up and said that that the answer that they came to after living overseas for so long was um, from Genesis, Hmm. um, and it's Genesis 18. And it's when Abraham is interceding for the city of Sodom. And he says a phrase, he says, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? That's good. And the answer when we were, when we were overseas, just overwhelmed by the lack of knowledge of the gospel and is that the judge of all the earth will do what is just. And Mm -hmm. I really do believe, and we saw this living overseas, if there is someone who responds to the truth that they've received. And Romans 1 talks about the revelation in creation. Bears of, witness bears to these witness things. Bears witness to these yeah. things. Romans one twenty, And they are, it even goes as far as to say they are without, without excuse. excuse. And Everyone. I, I, so what does that say? I mean, that from, means that every person... There is a revelation given to every person. It's not the full revelation of the gospel necessarily, which comes through the preaching of the word. But... Yeah. But... It bears testimony. Even creation itself bears testimony. And I I really and truly firmly believe that people who respond to the revelation that they have received, that if they are responding, God God does make a way for them to hear the gospel. We've heard stories of Jesus appearing to someone in a dream and saying, you know, we, we pers- there was this one guy that I think of, and he said that, that God had shown him that the Bible was true. It wasn't the Quran. It was the Bible. And right. then he was in a place to hear those that God had sent that came across his path to hear the gospel then. I really firmly believe that the judge of all the earth will do what is right. And those who respond to the revelation that they have received, God will in turn meet them. I think it's a good way to say it. And will provide a way he already has through Christ. That's He's right. not going to leave them right. alone without the truth. Yeah. And it doesn't resolve, though, our responsibility as no. Christians to take that gospel to the world. It just also, as Paul starts, even in Romans 1, I mean, that the foundation that Stephen mentioned there is right there, that the Bible says, for what can be known about God in chapter 1, verse 19, is plain to them because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. And so um, I think that that is there for each one of us to consider is that God has created our life and he has created this world and this world um it just shouts, the Bible says. It it um, it declares, the sun declares the glory of God. Mm-hmm. This world declares the glory of God. And, and it all comes down to, well, what are you going to do about that? What is your response to that? And, and do you realize that, that apart from God, you have no hope of, of, of eternal life and in eternity with him? 
And uh, because I think that's that's what um, I want us to end maybe on our discussion today with probably I think the place where um, at least Jesus and his earthly ministry um, gives probably the most descriptive um, teaching on hell. And that is in Luke 16. And I think, you know, this 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 rightly just kind of falls right there. Um, You can read that on your own. We encourage you to do that. But at the very end, um, well, Stephen, for those who haven't read it, or this is a new to them, would you set the stage of, of Luke 16 for us? Uh, yeah. So um, Jesus is uh, coming around, and he basically is going to walk through a story about a rich man and Lazarus, uh, Lazarus, who is a poor man. And he's going to walk through this story. And the response is going to be one is a poor man on this earth and one is a rich man. However, the way that judgment is meted out by a just God uh, puts them on a level playing field uh, in the afterlife. And actually the rich man is the one who is judged um, in a harsh manner. And Lazarus is the one who receives um, blessing. And so um, it's a interesting story. (laughs) Um, And it comes at an interesting place, I believe too. Yeah. And so the end of it ends in this way um, where, um, in verse 23, the Bible says, uh, verse 22, the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out to Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip his finger in cold uh, water to cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. And Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and that Lazarus in his manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from here to us. And notice what he says in verse 27, the, 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 like the desperation in his voice. Then he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And then notice what Jesus says. He said to them, but if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And I think this is where we end our discussion today because it, it, it puts the onus and the responsibility back on every individual, uh, regardless of what you've grown up with, with misconceptions, regardless of, um, you know, how you've been influenced in terms of the afterlife. Uh, the reality is, is what Jesus is teaching that hell was a literal place. It was a real place. And, um, and and he uses that. He says, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, which is, what is he talking about? Uh, Moses and the prophets in this context would be scripture, somebody taking to them the scripture that had yeah. already been given. Yeah. I mean, Jesus is saying, like, if, if they're not going to heed the word of God that's been given, then neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So I think our challenge to you, as it's been a challenge to us, is that we would uh, be careful with how much we allow our thoughts in terms of the afterlife to be colored by the perceptions or the thoughts of other people. And we would be really concerned with what God, the author of life, has said about eternal life. And, um, 
And so what we encourage you to do actually after we end our discussion today is to head over to where we land, uh, where we land.org. And on the website there, you'll find a landing guide that will be filled with some really key scripture passages that could help you explore some of these things and uh, also give you some pointed discussion questions to help you consider uh, where you land regarding the misconceptions about hell. Well, anything else, guys, before we would sign off today? Uh, yeah, let this uh, motivate you to go and share with others um, to be the person that Romans 10 uh, says that people need uh, to hear the gospel. Because if hell doesn't drive you to take action, um, there's something wrong with your Christianity because <laughs> hell should weigh on you. That's one thing that I found today is for preparing for this over the past couple of days. And then even today as we're recording is just uh, hell as a Christian should drive me to action on behalf of others. Well, listen, we hope that you would stick around here and join us in two weeks as we'll be releasing another episode uh, entitled the misconceptions about heaven. And so uh, while you have the time before the next episode, head on over to wherewelandorg Download the new landing guide if you haven't had a chance to do that yet to where you can consider some helpful resources, some biblical text and uh, some real pointed discussion questions that would help you understand uh, where you land in regards to this topic. We hope that you'll join us here next time on Where We Land. We'll see you then. Thank you for listening to Where We Land, Christ, Culture, and the Church. Hey, listen, if there's anything we talked about on the show today that you would like to know more about, we'd love to hear from you. So send us your thoughts and questions uh, through connecting with us on social media. You can find us both on Facebook and on Instagram at Where We Land. Also, if you haven't yet, head over to our website at wherewelandorg where you can find more helpful uh, resources as well as download the landing guide from this episode. We hope to see you here next time. We'll see you then.